All right, so in 1 Samuel, uh, tonight, 23 and 24. And tonight, uh, I think my message is more, more of a textual. It's a narrative, of course. Um, so I'm not sure that it qualifies as expository tonight, but at least textual. We'll look, be looking at five uh, contrasts of character between uh, individuals and parties in these two passages the character of the men here. Just a contrast. Maybe I'm still a little bit on that theme of contrast from this morning. But uh, we see five contrasts in these. Uh, we could probably name even more than that. But uh, the first contrast that I want to focus on in the opening verses of chapter 23 will be the contrast of David and his men uh, who, who will rescue uh, Kayla from the Philistines despite personal risk. And the contrast there is you know, that other men would perhaps not be willing to do this. In fact, they have to seek God and be very sure that this is God's will because uh, they are not wanting to risk their lives needlessly in rescuing the men of Kayla. And then the contrast comes with the second group, which is the men of Kayla themselves who are rescued in that once David rescues them, they are ready to turn around and turn him over to King Saul. And so we'll look at that in verses 23, 8 through 12, as well as another group of people in Ziph who are essentially the same type of people. And then we'll also look at the contrasting character. In contrast to Kayla and Ziph and Saul, we have the character of Jonathan who accepts his will God's will for David to be king, despite his own demotion, really. And then we'll look at Saul, in contrast to, Saul, to Jonathan, in contrast to David, who is out for himself. He's totally focused on his own benefit, which he sees as eliminating his competition, David, eliminating the threat to his throne and his um, descendants' line, even though God has already told him that's that's going to come to an end. He's not accepting God's will there, and he wants to, to fight against it. And we're going to look at that, and uh, there's going to be some overlap here, but it's going to be uh, after 23, verses 20 through 22. Until his enemy gains the upper hand, then for a time, temporarily, he's willing to acknowledge God's hand and the good character of David. And then we're going to come back to David in the end, and that's where we'll see the overlap, where David leaves vengeance upon his enemy, the king, up to, up to the Lord, despite the danger to his own life. And so really the lesson that we want that we'll come away with in these two chapters is going to be um, doing what is right in God's eyes despite our own benefit or our own risk, despite what seems to be good for us. And we're going to see groups and individuals particularly two groups and one individual who are just out for their own benefit and what's good for them and what keeps them safe. And, and regardless of what God's will is, regardless of who gets hurt on the other side. Whereas the good side of this, uh, the two individuals, David, we'll, we'll look at two different situations, opening verses of 23 and the closing verses of 24 where he, 
despite personal risk and personal danger, does what's right in God's eyes, uh, seeks God's will, leaves the results with God, and does what is right. And Jonathan does that in verses 13 through 18 of, verse, of chapter 23 as well. So let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Um, Bernie, would you like to open in prayer for this message? Most gracious Father, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together. We pray that you may just open our uh, minds and hearts to the things you have uh, us to learn from the scriptures tonight. We pray that you anoint uh, Pastor with the a message uh, that you would have for us and that he would uh, uh, just inspire us to encourage us to uh, apply these uh, truths in our own life that we would uh, always seek out your will and always desire to do your will no matter what the uh, personal comforts or, or, or risk uh, uh, or discomforts uh, may be involved but we would always want to do your will. We pray now for the power of the Holy Spirit to be uh, active here this evening in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, so looking at 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 7. And then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the, thresh, the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines, and save Keilah. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Keilah against the enemies of the Philist armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle, and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And it came to pass, when Abathar the son of Abimelech fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. And Saul saith, said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into the town that hath gates and bars." What I'm focusing on here in these opening verses is the risk that David takes on here. And you see that all the way to the, to the end of verse 7. The risk that he takes, not just against the Philistines, but he's putting himself in a position where Saul now knows where he is, where to find him, and thinks, aha, God's delivered him into my hand. He's trapped now. I've got him. Get him right where I want him. So this is David taking on a great risk. And you notice the first thing he does you know, when he hears the need for help of the men of Keilah, the, they're oppressed by the Philistines. They're a border town for Israel, uh, Israelite border town that's being raided by the Philistines. And David inquires of the Lord. That's the first thing we see him doing, verse 2, once he gets the message, which is, is a great lesson for us, that when, when, when we have a decision of there's an apparent right thing that we should do, even though it, it seems apparent enough that this is the right thing to do. David does not just go ahead and jump in. He seeks God's will first. He seeks God and asks God, is this what you want 
want me to do. And of course, we could take that too, fo too far extreme. Too many people will use the you know, stay home and use the excuse. Well, you know, I'm still praying for a God to lead me to where he wants, what he wants me to do with my life. Um, and, and that's not, you know, that would be a misapplication of this, but he has a definite direction here where he's ready to take and he seeks God's will. Yes or no? Do I go forward? Yes or no? And God gives him the direction to go. You see in verse two, therefore David inquires of the Lord saying, shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go, and smite the Philistines, and save Keilah. So there's a good thing that David has before him. He seeks the Lord, and, and the Lord confirms that this is what God wants him to do. But notice in verse 3, David's men are not convinced. Even though David, their leader, is telling them, you know, we've got this news. From the men of Keilah, the Philistines are attacking them and robbing their threshing floors. We need to go deliver them from the Philistines. And yes, verse 4, And David inquired of the Lord yet again. So we have that terminology, inquired of the Lord, and it's believed that he's going through Abathar the priest. Uh, in however Abathar does this uh, with the Urim and Thummim. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the, the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and, and uh, fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And notice that God blesses David, you know, which it seems, it also seems to be confirmation that this was of God. This was God's will for him to attack the Philistines because he blesses the outcome. And uh, we had the first time he inquires of God, he inquires of the Lord, he inquires of Jehovah. Remember, Lord stands for Jehovah. And God says, go. And he asks the second time, he says, go. And then they go. And they do give the victory. And notice in God's second answer, the second time, verse 4, the Lord answered and said, Arise, go to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And it's not implied that, that David asks for that, but perhaps that is part of the process of inquiring where David wants a reassurance. Will we win the battle? Maybe there's a second question involved. And God says, I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. All right, so David and his men went. We saw that in verse 5. Verse 6, notice there's still risk, as we mentioned at the beginning. Um, even though the Philistines are defeated, and notice that, the, again, the men had pointed out before going and attacking the Philistines, we're on edge enough. We're already, the morale is down. What's it going to be? You know, we're already in hiding from Saul. Are you, you really want to, we already have Saul as the threat here. You want to make an additional threat of the Philistines in battle. And so, but God, it is God's will, so they do it. Despite the danger, despite the threat of Saul, and now the added threat of the Philistines. But they defeat the Philistines. In verse 6, it came to pass when Abathar, the son of Abimelech, Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, they came down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told to Saul that David was come to Keilah. 
And Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, and he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And so Saul thinks he has him trapped. And let's look at the, so that's the first character comparison contrast that we have in this passage is that of David, and you could, by extension, his men who follow him into battle, even, even at their own risk, they do follow him when he inquires of God. But the second one we see here is the negative, and that's from the men of Keilah. The men of Keilah, look at verse, starting at verse 8. And Saul called all the people together to war, to go down to Keilah. And you could mention the poor character of Saul here. He's ignoring the good thing that's, that David just did here. He's completely ignoring, well, maybe I shouldn't be attacking David since the hand of God is on him and he's given him this victory over the Philistines. He, he's ignoring that. He's only focused on what's good for him, not that David has just rescued the men of Keilah. In verse 8 again, calls them to war and goes down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said, saith to Abathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. So here we have again a reference to the ephod in inquiring from God. Verse 10, then said David, O Lord, God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into thy, his hand? Will Saul come down as his servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And again, we don't know exactly the means, but it does seem to have something to do with Abathar the priest and the ephod. And Abathar gives that message, or the Lord speaks to David. But we see the result is, the Lord says, through this means, he will come down. Verse 12, then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. So it's a, it's a yes on both those questions. Will he come down? Yes, he will. Will the men of Keilah surrender me? You would think that the men of Keilah, if they had any loyalty, David just rescued them from the Philistines. And now they're not going to rescue David from Saul? Nope, they're not. They're going to turn him right over. So this is a contrast of character for the men of Keilah, and that unlike David, who's willing to take on the risk of ex exposing his position, his whereabouts to Saul, who is hunting for him, by coming out of hiding, and not only coming out of hiding, but risking his life and the life of his men in the battlefield against the Philistines, for what? For the men of Keilah, their countrymen. But now the men of Keilah turn around and they're going to betray him to Saul. So the men of Keilah are like, oh, well, thank you for you know, saving us, but <clears throat> we're also going to save ourselves by turning you over to Saul. So there's a real contrast of character there. What's benefit for them? Ignoring even any loyalty or owed, owing the benefit that they have at being safe from the Philistines to David, they're ignoring all that and just focusing on themselves. So. Uh, selfishness, uh, fear, um, weakness here on the men of Keilah compared to David's strength, courage, doing what's right despite the risk, despite the danger, 
The opposite is true for the men of Keilah. Verse 13. Then David, and this is where we come to a third contrast and comparison here. A third examination of another character, and that is the character of Jonathan. We'll look at him in verses 13 through 18. Unlike the men of Keilah, who are just out for their own benefit, we see Jonathan as a character who's focused on what God wants and what God is going to do and is recognizing the anointing of God upon David. Verse 13, Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah, and he forbore to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain and in the wilderness as if. And Saul sought him every day. So Saul is determined. But God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the wood. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. Notice that uh, Saul is not able to find David, but Jonathan is. Interesting. Jonathan's able to find David. His father can't find him. Of course, you know, David's more willing to let Jonathan find him. Maybe David steps out of hiding when Jonathan comes by. Whatever the situation, Jonathan's able to find David. Saul is not. And uh, look at verse 17, uh, end of 16. Strengthened his hand in God. So Jonathan probably, this implies Jonathan is coming and encouraging David. You know, right now you're in hiding. Don't worry. God is going to give you the kingdom. And you see this in verse 17. And he said unto him, fear not. So perhaps the end of verse 16 is describing what Jonathan's about to do in verse 17 and what he says. Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. And thou shalt be a king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, that also, and that also Saul, my father, knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord, and they would made a covenant before. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. So Jonathan goes out to where David is and encourages him. Now David, you know, he writes a lot of psalms about situations like this. And so we, through the psalms, we can see what David is feeling emotionally. And we can see from the psalms, David needs this encouragement. So this encouragement is really from God using Jonathan, Jonathan allowing God to use him to encourage David, a man after God's own heart, who God is going to use in tremendous ways in leading the people of Israel, really bringing the nation of Israel to the height, to the peak um, of their, their borders and preparing the way for Solomon to build the temple. And always kings will look back and compare themselves or be compared in 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles to David. And uh, were they like David? And he's kind of the, the measuring, uh, measuring stick by which his descendants and other kings would be compared. And even today, you know, the, the, the symbol on the flag of Israel, the Star of David. So he, he, he has a lasting legacy. And Jonathan recognizes that, that David's going to be used. But David may be having a hard time seeing that for himself at this point. He needs encouragement. Jonathan provides it. And notice that Jonathan, he has the faith that he'll be second to David. And that doesn't really turn out 
Jonathan's going to die in battle with his father, uh, which is a sad ending for Jonathan. But Jonathan, you know, despite the demotion that even if he were to be second to David, that's his hope. He's hoping for the best that he can, given the circumstances. He knows he, he's not going to be the king, and he's accepting that, and he's encouraging David. So despite the demotion of himself, because, I mean, if you put yourself in Jonathan's shoes, I mean, he's, he's a warrior. He's the oldest son of King Saul. He's the rightful next king. It's hard to imagine just giving that up and being willing to be second in command. You know, if you look at history, like I have, you see so many cases of brothers killing each other to become uh, the next king or, 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 or somebody being paranoid and killing all their family members. This happens in the Roman Empire and in just all kinds of countries around the world where it's very common in pagan cultures, and God forbids this, but some of the, this even happens a few times in the, the history of the northern and southern kingdoms where someone will just wipe out all the heirs to the throne, anybody who could possibly claim the throne. And, and um, Jonathan is not thinking that way. Saul is. He wants to eliminate David by killing him. But uh, Jonathan is hoping for the best. He's hoping that he can be a part of serving with David because God is going to make David the king. And we see it now um, come back to, I, I, in my notes I may have been saying five. I was, linked, I was grouping Kela and Ziph, even though I do have them named as two separate peoples as two groups that really do the same thing. So let's come to them in the next verses. The men of Ziph, very similar to the men of Kila, a different group of people, but they do essentially the same thing the men of uh, Kila did, except that they're not necessarily rescued by David in the way that the men of Kila were. Let's look at the following verses. Verse 19. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul and Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood? And in the hill of Hekelah, which is on the south of Jeshimon. Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul, to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. Go, I pray you, prepare yet and know and see his place where his haunt is. And who, and you know, ironically enough, tomorrow's Halloween, we have the word haunt here. That word haunt means um, his, where he is in the wilderness, his hiding place in the wilderness. Um, his haunt is. And, uh, and who has seen him? For, he, for it is told me that he dealeth very subtly. And see, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hideth himself. And come ye again to me with the certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall come to pass, if ye will be in the land, if he will be in the land, that I will search him out throughout all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain in southern Jeshimon. And Saul also and his men went to seek him. And they told David, And wherefore he came down into a rock, and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. 
And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. And Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take him. So notice the, the poor character of the men of Ziph. A lot like the men of Zela, they're cooperating with the king. Whoever happens to be in power, whoever they think is the greater threat, you know, Saul is the strong man here. So they're going to, as he, he's the king, perhaps they're loyal to him because he's the king. Perhaps they're more afraid of him. They know how ruthless he is. He just proved that in the previous chapter we saw two weeks ago by killing the town of priests, killing them all except Abathar who escaped. And perhaps they've heard of that and they're, they're not going to risk that for themselves. Perhaps the men of Keilah had as well. Uh, but they do what they can to let Saul know where David is. Saul pursues him and still cannot find him. So notice the fourth, um, I have it listed as the fourth, you could consider it the fifth, I guess, is Saul. Looking at Saul, Saul is so focused on what will benefit him that he's, he's unable to recognize the righteousness of his enemy until his enemy gains the second hand, the, uh, the upper hand, excuse me. And uh, we saw that with Saul ignoring David good doing, right, righteous um, courage in rescuing the men of Keilah. And now he continues to hunt him down. You see his determination in the couple of verses we just read. He is going to hunt him, uh, David down no matter what. Um, so Saul went on the side of the mountain and David on, on verse 26 of chapter 23. And David and his men on the other side of the mountain and David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. And for Saul and his men compassed David and his men around about to take them. So Saul is closing in on David here. Verse 27. And there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee, come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David. And so I think this is really of God here. God uses this message about the Philistines where Saul is right about just about has David cornered. And then Saul is called away to go fight the Philistines. So you see God working here to protect David. He's not going to let Saul catch him. And even when it looks like David has nowhere else to go, maybe Saul doesn't even notice, know this, that he's got David pretty much cornered, that he's got him encampassed about, it says in verse 26. You know, David's on one side of the mountain, they're on the other, and they're coming around. They just about got him surrounded, cornered, trapped in the wilderness of Ziph. Due to the reports that were giving away his positions, and he's constantly trying to get away um, from Saul, but Saul is catching up to him. But now Saul is called away to battle. In verse 28, Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called the place Selah Hamakoth, which is the rock of divisions. So God divided um, Saul away from, you know, he has David hid away. He's just on the other side of the mountain from Saul. Saul's approaching, and, and da uh, David is rescued by um, God's dividing Saul's attention away to the Philistines. Rock, rock a division. And then uh, that could be, could be another rendering, perhaps. Verse 29, And David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. Then chapter 24, and here is where we're going to see two things in this chapter, and they really overlap. Saul is still, continuing that last point, he's still so focused on catching David 
that he ignores the innocence of David and the righteousness, the good character of David until David gets the upper hand over him. And it, and it just, he has to acknowledge it. He has no choice but to acknowledge it. And we're going to see that in this passage. And on the other hand, David, which is my last point, is David leaves vengeance upon his enemy, the king, and leaves it to the Lord despite the danger to his own life. He has the opportunity to take vengeance to rid himself of this danger of King Saul against his life. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't pull the trigger. Look at chapter 24 now. And it came, and it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines. So notice, as soon as Saul is able to get back to pursuing David, he comes right back. So he's prevented by the attack of the Philistines from catching up with David. But then he comes right back to it. Um, like the proverb that says, a dog returns to his vomit. Uh, that type of thing. He's going right back to his sin, even though he should have, this should have been a wake-up call. That, you know, I have better things to be doing, fighting the Philistines, rather than pursuing David. I can't seem to catch him. He's determined to catch him. So he, kept, he is going to catch up to him, but now, but not in the way that he wants. Let's look at uh, verse 2. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel. Notice the large numbers. 3,000 chosen men. So he's taking his best men, not just average soldiers, chosen men out of Israel. And went to seek David. So this is special ops here. And went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats. And by the way, where was a cave? And Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest go down to him, as it, is, as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. So perhaps David works himself closer away from his men. His men are saying, you know, Go get him, David. There he is. You, you get to do as, as God has said. He, your enemies in your hands. Take him out. Now, just finish it. It's over. We don't have to keep running from Saul. So David takes his sword out and goes forward and cuts off part of Saul's robe. And Saul doesn't even know it. And it came to pass afterwards. So it must have been a, a sharp knife. David must have been very good at sneaking up on Saul or, and just been very close to him. Whatever the case is here. Notice David is a man after God's own heart and he has a sensitive conscience. Look at verse 5. And it came to pass that David's heart smote him because he had cut off skull, Saul's skirt. In other words, you know, his men think you shouldn't even feel bad about killing him. But he feels bad just cutting off part of Saul's robe. He feels like, yeah, maybe I went a little too far. I'm getting a little too um, aggressive, I'm too um, boastful, or I don't know. Like, see, Saul, I could have, I've got you. You know, I mean, he feels like, well, maybe this was a little too arrogant, prideful that I'm putting myself forward and proving, you know, kind of in your face way. See, Saul, look what I, I could have had you. He even feels in his heart, uh, maybe I went a little too far, just in, in, in that act. 
Whereas his men would have had no problem taking the head and taking, you know, coming out with his head in his hand and saying to all Saul's men, see, I'm the king. I've got his head right here. Uh, that's what they would have done. Uh, and a lot of people would have done. But that's not what David does. And he feels bad just cutting off part of Saul's skirt. But look at as, uh, how he uses it in verse 6. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he it is that is anointed of the Lord. So, and, and maybe David uses this to his own men as well. He comes back with the robe to them, and they're like, what's that? Proving that, yeah, I could have. I'm not afraid, you know. I cut his skirt off. That's risking getting caught doing that, and I got away with it. I could have killed him easily. It's not that I was afraid to do it or I couldn't pull the trigger. Look, I've got, a, I've got this. And he says to his men, but it's, it'd be wrong. It'd be wrong for me to kill him. I can't do that. And he feels bad, it says, even for what he did do. And, and, and apparently he would have felt, he definitely didn't feel that God wanted him to take Saul's life. That that would be wrong. And he does not violate his conscience to go that, to that level. So David stayed his servants with these words. You know, uh, so he has to persuade his men. Because his men probably, they, they, you see this later on, uh, Joab takes things into his own hands and takes out Absalom. His men uh, are, would be more than willing to go and do it for David. If David's not willing to do it, but he is able to persuade them. He's that good of a leader. And he has that good of a heart that he's able to persuade his men don't take his life. It's not what God wants. It's not God's will. God has made him king. God will remove him from being king. And, you know, that's, that's a good, good uh, application for us today is whoever the president is right now, some of us might not be happy with who's the president. We might not be happy with who's the president next. But that doesn't mean we should go assassinate the president. Uh, so, because um, look, look at Saul. He is not just trying to take David's freedoms away, not just trying to disarm him, take his freedom of religion or, 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 or speech away. You know, and there might come a point where you have to disobey the law in order to obey God. That's oh, yes. But this, he's trying to kill David, trying to kill him. You would think that David could say, self-defense, self-defense, but he doesn't. And there's a place for, self, for righteous self-defense, certainly, certainly is. And so this is not saying that self-defense is not justifiable, but he's not willing to murder Saul. This would be a murder for him to kill Saul, even though Saul is trying to murder him. And uh, um, he does not take that, does not take the opportunity to assassinate Saul, who is a wicked king. So look at verse 8. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, well, notice the respect that David is still addressing Saul with. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. So notice that his heart smote him because of taking the robe off. And so maybe this is part part. Partly, you know, he's realizing, yeah, I, I should, this was disrespectful of me to do. 
So he's showing respect to Saul, but yet he still is going to show Saul, I could have killed you. Verse 9, and David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee. But mine eyes spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see ye, and see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe, and killed thee not, know thou, and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it, the Lord judge between me and thee. The Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. So David is giving up his right to vengeance and giving it to God. Giving it all up to God. And notice here that if David had killed Saul, you know, David's going to be in the position himself where he's fleeing from his son Absalom. He's in danger for his life and other circumstances in the future. You know, perhaps God wouldn't have protected him later on. It would have allowed him to be assassinated. You know, Jesus said to Peter, put up thine sword. He that lives by the sword dies by the sword. And certainly David did kill many people in battle, but that's in battle. He didn't assassinate the way, uh, at least here, where he had a clear opportunity to do so, and many people were trying to persuade him to do so, saying that God has delivered him into your hand. Wasn't it just Saul in the last chapter that said, the Lord has delivered David into my hand. He's in that walled city with bars on it. And then people turn to, but he's not able to catch David. On the other hand, contrast David. His men say, hasn't God delivered Saul into your hand? And David doesn't, even though he can. Saul thinks that God's delivering David into his hand. He's really not. And he wants to. He seeks every possible opportunity to kill David and can't do it. Doesn't get the chance. David's not seeking to kill Saul. Gets the chance. God, it looks like he does deliver Saul into his hand. He has the opportunity. He doesn't kill him. Huge contrast in chapter 23, chapter 24, between Saul and David. And so the Lord judged between me and thee. The Lord avenged me of thee, verse 12, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. Verse 13, As saith the proverb of the ancients, Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, and I couldn't find where, uh, and maybe I'll have to do a further study, but I didn't find where this is coming from. But wickedness proceedeth from wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. Wickedness proceedeth from wicked, and certainly that's a general principle that's taught in the Bible. But mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord be, uh, therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking, these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this the voice of my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice, and wept. And it seems like he, his, his right mind actually returns to him here. I mean, he loved David back when David played the harp for him. 
He loved him at that time. And perhaps he goes back to, this is the David that I loved. And I'm trying to kill him. And how terrible a person have I become? Maybe his right mind returns to him. Remember, he's vexed with that evil spirit much of the time. And he said unto David, verse 17, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded the evil. He's certainly speaking the truth here. Whether he's saying it to deceive David and put him off guard so he'll come back with him and he can stick him with the javelin later, you know, David's not going to trust him. But um, he's seeing the truth, whether he means it or not. Perhaps he, is, he does mean it. But verse 18, And thou hast showed this day, from Saul's old mouth here to David, Thou hast showed this day how thou hast dealt well with me, forasmuch as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? In other words, this is unusual. This doesn't happen. Wherefore, the Lord rewarded thee, reward thee, good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. So Saul speaks a blessing from God upon David. Of course, that's going to come true. Verse 20, And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, which is also true, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now, therefore, unto me by the Lord, that thou shalt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home. So you see maybe some of the fears that are driving Saul, that he thinks he has to kill David, because David's a threat to his whole family if David becomes the king. And so, so, so that fear maybe comes out here, but David swears, verse 22, and David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men got them out in, unto the hold. So they go to their um, headquarters, their holdout still, not, you know, not trusting to go back to the normal lives necessarily. And of course, uh, we'll see that uh, this is not the end of Saul hunting for David. But uh, it's the end of our study tonight. And uh, some contrast between Saul and David, also Jonathan, and also the, the men of Keilah and Ziph, where we see two separate types of character. One that's, that looks for their own benefit and is willing to do whatever it takes, even if it's wrong, even if the other person's not wrong, doing some good things, even for them, they're still willing to harm that person and do wrong to that person if it has a benefit for them. Whereas on the other hand, and that's the men of Keilah, the men of Ziph, and Saul. And then on the other hand, you have David and Jonathan, who despite the risk themselves, despite a demotion to themselves, despite having to wait to a future event to become king, and risking his own life in the present state of affairs, they do what they believe is God's will and leave the results to God. And that's what we have to do uh, wherever we find ourselves in life. Do God's will, uh, regardless of what, what the danger, what the risk is, and don't seek to be selfish, even if there's a clear benefit for ourselves, the way that Saul did, the way that Menachilah did, the way that Ziph did in this passage, but rather be like David and Jonathan. Uh, any other comments, questions?